Swiss Family Robinson, Chapter 44, Expedition of Discovery, Results, Brown Bears. The next day the weather was delightful. We rose before daybreak. My eldest sons took their work tools, which we might want, and their guns also, but under the condition that they should not use them till I gave the word, fire. I carried the bag of provisions, our flock of sheep, had increased so much at the farm that we allowed ourselves to kill one, and my wife had roasted a piece for us the preceding evening. To this, we added a cake of cassava, and for our dessert, we depended on the fruits of the trees we might discover. But previous to our departure, while I was taking leave of my wife and Francis, I heard a dispute in the colonnade, of which I hastened to learn the cause. I found it was a question between Fritz and Jack whether we should make the tour of the island by sea or land, and each was anxious for my support. Fritz complained that since there are two expeditions in the canoe, Jack believed himself the first sailor in the world, and they had given him the name of the Lord of the Waves, because he was constantly saying, When I was under the waves, when the waves were washing over me, do you think that they left us dry? No, Mr. Sportsman, said Jack. You got enough of them, and that's the reason you don't wish to try them again. For my part, I love the waves, and I sing the sea, the sea. It was the sea that brought us here. I w what a boaster you are, said Fritz. It was only yesterday you said to me, I will guide you. I know the way by the rocks. I got my buffalo there, and I intended to have another. Was it in the Panas you intended to pass the defile and pursue buffaloes? No, no, I meant on foot, said Jack, but I thought we should be only two then. But as we are four, father at the helm and three bold rowers, why should we fatigue ourselves in making the tour of Allen on our legs, when we have a good vessel to carry us? What says Mr. Philosopher, the Prince of Idlers, to it? For my part, said Ernest quietly, I am quite indifferent whether I use my legs in walking or my arms in rowing. It is equally fatiguing, but walking gives me more chance of filling my plant box and my game bag. And does he think, added Fritz, that the mulberry and breadfruit trees, which we shall certainly find on the other side, grow on the sea, without naming my gazelle, which does not run over the waves? No, it is waiting without moving for you to shoot it, said Jack, and Ernest. Perhaps you may find on the sea some of those curious things, half plants, half animals, which you are showing me in a book. The zoophytes are polypi, for they are the same family. Though they are more than a thousand species, said Ernest, charmed to display his knowledge. But I stopped him by saying, we will dispense with the thousand names at present. After hearing all your arguments, attend to mine. Even Jack must yield to them. Our principal aim now being to search for the trees we are in need of, and to examine the productions of the island, our most sensible plan will be to walk. Jack still contended that we might land occasionally, but I showed him the danger of this. The island being in all probability surrounded by reefs, which might extend so far into the sea as to take us out of the side of the island. This I intended to ascertain some day, 
and in the meantime I proposed to them that we should endeavor to find a pass round the rocks on our side from whence we could walk to the defile at the other end, take our canoe, which we had left at anchor near the great bay, and return to Tent House. Jack was in ecstasies. He declared the pass must be very well concealed that escaped his search and seizing his lasso and his bow, rushed out the first singing, The sea, the sea, there goes a cellar formed by nature, thought I as we followed the course of the chain of rocks to the left of our dwelling, it conducted us first to the place of our landing, that little uncultivated plain of triangular form, of which the base was washed by the sea, and the point was lost among the rocks. I found here some traces of our first establishment, but how wretched all appeared compared with our present comforts. We tried here in vain to find a passage to cross the rocks. The chain was everywhere, like an impenetrable wall. We arrived at the ravine Fritz and Ernest had scaled when they discovered their grotto, and truly nothing but the courage and rashness of youth could have undertaken this enterprise, and continued it daily for three weeks. It appeared to me almost impossible. Fritz offered to ascend to show me how they accomplished it, but I would not consent, as it could serve no useful purpose. I thought it better for us to proceed to the border of the island, where it was not impossible there. Might be a small space on the strand between the rocks and the sea, round which we could pass, from my sons being able to distinguish from the summit the country on the other side. It was evident the chain of rocks could not be very broad. Suddenly Fritz struck his forehead, and seizing Ernest by the arm, Brothers, said he, Why did we not, said Fritz, when we were working within our grotto, attempt to make the opening on the other side? We should have not have had much difficulty, I am persuaded, and it and if our tools had not been sufficient, a little powder would have opened us a door on the other side. Only consider, consider, father, the convenience of bringing the cart loaded with the trees we wanted through our grotto, and to be able to go a-hunting without having I don't know how many miles to go. Well, we can still do that, said Ernest, in his usual calm, grave manner. If we do not find another passage, we will make one through the grotto Ernestine, with mother's permission, as it is her property. The idea, this idea of my son appeared good. It was quite certain from our experience at Tent House, and in the grotto, that the cavity in the rocks was of very great extent, and it did not appear difficult to pierce through to the other side. But some other chain of rocks, some gigantic tree, some hill at the end of our tunnel, might render all, all our labor useless. I proposed that we should defer our work till we had examined the nature of the ground on the other side. My sons agreed, and we proceeded with renewed courage, when we were suddenly checked by the side of the sea beating against a perpendicular rock, a terrific height, which terminated our island on this side, and did not give us a chance of going on. I saw the rock did not extend far, but how to get around it I could not devise. I did not conceive we could get the panos round, as the coast seemed surrounded by reefs. Masses of rock stood up in the sea, and the breakers showed that more were hidden, 
After much consideration and many plans, Ernest proposed that we should swim out to the uncovered rocks and endeavor to pass round. Fritz objected on account of his arms and ammunition, but Ernest suggested that the powder should be secured in the pockets of his clothes, which he might carry on his head, holding his gun above the water. With some difficulty, we arranged our encumbrances and succeeded in reaching the range of outer rocks without swimming as the water was not above our shoulders. We rested here a while, and putting on some of our clothes, we commenced our walk over sharp stones which wounded our feet. In many places where the rocks lay low, we were up to the waist in the water. Ernest, the proposer of the plan, encouraged us and led the way for some time, but at last he fell behind and remained so long that I became alarmed, and calling aloud for I had lost sight of him, he answered me, and at last I discovered him stretched on the rock, endeavoring to separate a piece from it with his knife. Father, said he, I am not certain that this bed of rock over which we are walking, and which we fancy was formed of stones or flints, is nothing but the work of those remarkable zoophytes called coral insects, which form coral and many other extraordinary things. They can even make whole islands. Look at these little points and hollows and these stars of every color and every form. I would give all the world to have a specimen of each kind. He succeeded in breaking off a piece which was of a deep orange collar inside. He collected also and deposited in his bag some other pieces of various forms and collars. These greatly enriched his collection, and idle as he was, he did not complain of any difficulty in obtaining them. He had given his gun to Jack, who complained much of the ruggedness of the road. Our march was truly painful, and I repented more than once of having yielded to the idea. Besides the misery of walking along these shelly rocks, which presented points like the sharp teeth of a saw, tearing our shoes and even our skin, the sea in some of the lower places was so high as to bar our passage, and we were obliged in the interval between two waves to rush across with the water to our chins. We had some difficulty to avoid being carried away. I trembled, especially for Jack, though small light, he preferred facing the wave to avoiding it. I was several times obliged to catch hold of him and narrowly escape destruction along with him. Happily our march was not above half a mile, and we gained the shore at last, without any serious accident, but much fatigue and foot sore. And we made a resolution never more to cross the coral reefs. After dressing ourselves, resting, and taking a slight refreshment on the beach, we resumed our march more at our ease into the interior of the island. But though the long grass was not so sharp as the coral, it was almost as troublesome. Twisting round our legs and threatening to throw us down every step we took, Ernest, loaded with his bag of fragments of rock, coral, and zoophytes, had given his gun to Jack. And fearing an accident among the long grass, I thought it prudent to discharge it. In order to profit by it, I fired at a little quadruped about the size of a squirrel and killed it. It appeared to me to be the animal called by naturalists the palm squirrel because it climbs the coca and date palms, hooks itself by its tail, which is very long and flexible, to the upper branches and feeds at leisure on the fruit of which it is very fond. We amused ourselves by details of the habits of this animal, occasionally separating to make more discoveries, but agreeing on a particular call which was to assemble us when necessary. A precaution by no means useless as it turned out. Fritz, with his head raised, went on examining all the trees and occasionally giving a keen look after his gazelle. Ernest, stooping down, examined plants, insects, and occasionally pursuing rare and beautiful butterflies, was filling his bag and plant box 
With various curiosities, Jack, with his lasso in his hand, prepared himself to fling it round the legs of the first buffalo he met with, and was vexed that he did not see any. For my own part, I was engaged in surveying the chain of rocks in order to discover that which contained the grotto Ernestine. It was easy to recognize it from its summit cleft in two, and I wished to ascertain, as nearly as possible, if the cleft extended to the base of the rock, as this would render our work much easier. This side of the island did not resemble that near the great bay, with which Jack and I had been so much charmed. The island was much narrower here, and instead of the wide plain, crossed by a river, divided by beautiful woods, giving an idea of paradise on earth. We were journeying through a contracted valley, lying between the rocky wall which divided the island and a chain of sandy hills which hid the sea and sheltered the valley from the wind. Fritz and I ascended one of those hills on which a few pines and broom were growing, and perceived beyond them a barren tract stretching to the sea where the coral reefs rose to the level of the water, and appeared to extend far into the sea. Any navigator sailing along these shores would pronounce the island inaccessible and entirely barren. This is not the fact. The grass is very thick, and the trees of noble growth. We found many unknown to us, some loaded with fruit, also several beautiful shrubs covered with flowers. The dwarf orange tree, the elegant melaleuca, the nutmeg tree, and the bengal rose, blending its flowers with a fragrant jasmine. I should never finish if I were to try and name all the plants found in this shady valley, which might be called the botanic garden of nature. Ernest was in ecstasies. He wished to carry every, away everything, but he did not know how to dispose of them. And said he, if only our grotto were open to this side. At this moment, Fritz came running out of breath, crying out, The breadfruit tree! I found the breadfruit tree! Here is the fruit! Excellent, delicious bread! Taste it, father! Here, Ernest! Here, Jack! And he gave us each a part of an oval fruit, about the size of an ordinary melon, which really seemed very good and nourishing. There are many of these trees, continued he, loaded with fruit. Would that we had our grotto open, that we might collect a store of them, now that they are ripe. My boys pointed out to me exactly the situation of the grotto, judging from the rock above, and longed for their tools, that they might commence the opening directly. We proceeded to make our way through a border of trees and bushes, which separate us from the rock, that we might examine it, and judge of the difficulties of our undertaking. Jack preceded us. As usual, after giving Ernest his gun, Fritz followed him and suddenly turning to me said, I believe kind nature has saved us much trouble. The rock appears to be divided from top to bottom at the foot. I see a sort of cave or grotto already made. This moment Jack uttered a piercing cry and came running to us, his lasso in his hand. Two monstrous beasts, cried he. Help, help. We rushed forward, our guns ready, and saw at the entrance of the cave two large brown bears. The black bear, whose fur is most valued, is only found in cold and mountainous countries, but the brown prefers the south. It is a carnivorous animal, considered very ferocious. The black bear lives only on vegetables and honey. Of these, the one I judged to be the female seemed much irritated, uttering deep growls and furiously gnashing her teeth. As I knew something of these animals, having met with them on the Alps, I remembered having heard that it terrifies and checks them. I therefore whistled as long and loudly as I could, and immediately saw the female retire backwards into the cave, while the male, raising her itself on his hind legs, stood quite still with his paws closed. 
My two elder sons fared into his breast. He fell down, but being only wounded, turned furiously on us. I fired a third shot at him and finished him. We then hastened to load our guns again to be ready to receive his companion. Jack wished to use his lasso, but I explained to him that the legs of the bear were too short and thick for such a measure to be successful. He related to us that having entered the cave, he saw something moving at the bottom. He took up a stone and threw it with all his strength at the object, immediately heard a frightful growling, and saw two large beasts coming towards him. He had barely time to escape and call for help, and then to hide himself behind a tree. To save ourselves from the other bear, it was necessary that we should take some prompt measures. We therefore advanced and formed a line of battle before the entrance of the cave. I then gave the word fair, and we all three fared off our pieces at the same moment. A furious, ferocious roar made us hope the bullets had taken effect, but to make sure and to prevent the escape of the animal, if it was still alive, we gathered a large heap of dried branches and leaves before the opening, to which I set fire. As soon as it blazed, we saw by the light the bear laid motionless on its side, but it is well known that this animal is crafty enough sometimes to feign itself dead till its enemy approaches near enough to be in its power when it seizes him in its enormous paws and strangles him. We took a lighted branch and approached with great precaution. The cave did not extend far. The animal was lying on a heap of dried leaves, prepared for its young ones. I ascertained that it was really dead. I then, with the assistance of my sons, drew it out of the cave, which was too dark for work, and I wished to secure the rich and beautiful skins which might be useful to us in winter. We set to work, and as the animals were still warm, we succeeded more easily than I could have expected, but the skins were so heavy it was almost impossible to remove them. We therefore left them in the cave, the bottom of which was sandy, closing the entrance with bows that no animal might enter to devour them, and abandoned the two bodies, only regretting the abundance of fat which would have been useful for many domestic purposes.